Uh, we're, we're looking at this letter to Titus. Titus is a missionary. He's a church planter. Uh, he was discipled and sent out by Paul. And he's on the island of Crete, which you kind of wouldn't mind being on the island of Crete right now. So if you ever looked that up or know anything about it, it's a pretty uh, fabulous, beautiful place. If you look at a, a map of the Mediterranean Sea, uh, down below Greece, it's a, it's a Greek island just below Greece, out in the middle of the Mediterranean, you'll see this island. And that's the island of Crete. Uh, so that's where uh, he's been sent to go. Remember now, uh, Paul's writing this in the middle of First and Second Timothy after he was re- released from his two-year stint in prison. And when you read Titus versus First and Second Timothy, you see the differences between these two um, people. And Paul writes to them uh, according to who they are. So you can tell that Titus is a tough customer. He's sent out by, he's, he's Paul's, you know, green beret. Paul sends Titus to the problem spots. He's a fixer. And so Crete is a very, very tough place. So tonight we're going to look at the first section of chapter two. Now, Pastor Matt went over the qualifications of an elder. Then we're jumping over that next section. We'll pick that up next in two weeks. Next Wednesday night is uh, going to be our Awana celebration. And so then we'll come back and pick up the other uh, piece uh, for good reason after that. Because we'll be, uh, as I preach through that piece on that night, we'll also be uh, ordaining uh, David Latiel as a, the newest uh, member of our elder body. So it'll be, it's the perfect time to be preaching in Titus and all that'll be according to God's providence in a couple of weeks. So here's how chapter two begins. Verse one, but as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. So you see that there's the beginning. Now, Pastor Matt went through these uh, qualifications last week and then you'll the next section is more about how that's lived out in practice but there's a battle there because there's a lot of false teachers in Crete but there's false teachers everywhere so that's not really unique to Crete but it's uh, unique to any gospel ministry all gospel ministry I've ever been in, engaged with has always been fraught with a constant battle against apostasy or false teaching or all sorts of Uh, spiritual warfare so we don't have to wonder what does Paul mean when he says speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine now if you know Paul like I know Paul he would if he hadn't already told us what he means by that then he would do so now because he's the king of the giant run-on sentence that makes all grammar teachers go insane so We know that he has already told us. So we just back up to the very beginning. Verse one, I put it on your handout there. He says, Paul, a bondservant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth, which accords with godliness. So he's just referring back to what he's already said. This is this is God's people 
according to this body of truth which they've received, the gospel, which for us will be the word of God, which will then accord, which will then lead to the, that the outcome of that will be godly behavior. Now, let's just stop and think about this for a second. Let's suppose that you were a football player. And therefore, you, because you can't really be a football player unless you're part of a football team. So you're part of a football team. You're a football player who's part of a football team. And then somewhere along the line, maybe midstream, midseason somewhere, you decide that you no longer want to do the things that a football player does. So you decide, you, you decide that you don't want to sweat anymore. You don't want to run anymore. You don't want to hit anymore. In fact, you decide, you know, these pads really don't, you know, accentuate my shape. I don't want to wear these anymore. Uh, they're cumbersome and uncomfortable. This helmet, it messes up my hair, so I don't want to deal with that anymore. Now, if you make the decision, you're a football player on a football team, but you decide that these things just aren't really for you and you don't want to do them anymore, how long do you suppose you're going to remain a part of that football team? Like you can imagine, those of us that play football, can, we can quickly imagine uh, how long it's going to take the coach to eject us out of the situation. Like literally, you wouldn't make it through one practice, the minute you walked out on the field without all your gear, it would already be absolute, you know, you'd think you're about to die. And then when you actually verbalize to the coach what I just said, it would be over, right? Yeah. Because there are certain things that you have to do to be a football player. And if you don't do those things, well, then you can't. The people who are football players are going to eject you out of the club. Let's suppose you were a pirate, because that would be fun. Let's suppose you were a pirate. And so you lived a life of doing whatever you need to do to meet your needs. So you profited at the expense of other people. That's basically what pirates do, right? So, you know, you just advance yourself at whatever cost, at whomever's cost it may be. So let's suppose that you're on a pirate ship with other pirates and you decide, you know, like suddenly you have a, a, a moral epiphany and you decide, hmm, you know, maybe this is the wrong thing to do. You get all the pirate guys together and say, you know, guys, I was thinking, maybe there's a better way. You know, why don't we be nice to people and just ask them in a real friendly way if they'll give us some of their stuff or something like that. There's a thing on a pirate ship called a plank that you would be walking as soon as you said that because you cannot be a pirate without ascribing to a certain set of pirate behavior. It's just common sense. Everybody knows that. Well, what about being a Christian? Isn't that interesting? Like I could have went through example after example after example. You can't go to work and just decide 
that you don't want to ascribe to the certain behaviors that are necessary for you to be at work. But we roll right up in the church just any kind of way we want to be. Don't we? Huh. Paul doesn't see it that way. You see, this whole thing is is built and predicated from the very first verse of this book. This letter starts with this issue of the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness. Godliness. Now, isn't it interesting that you could be, it won't work on a football team. It won't even work for a pirate. Listen, it won't work if you're a part of a street gang. If you you join a group of the most depraved, wayward people on earth and decide to do something countercultural within that group, you will never make it more than five minutes. But yet, come into the church, act any way you want to act, and if somebody has an opinion about it, the church is judgmental. The church is being harsh. Huh. So we don't we don't have to wonder what Paul's referring to. He he's laid that out. We know what he's referring to. He's referring to the gospel and he's referring to the gospel that that he has embedded into Titus and that has led to the transformation in Titus's behavior. That is exactly what he's talking about. There's no discrepancy. There's no room for any other ideas about what he's talking about. Now, he's sending him, remember, to Crete. And the people of the island of Crete are notoriously wicked. We talked about that two weeks ago. Look at the verse I put, verse 12 from chapter 1. The the prophet of their own talking about these Cretans are always liars, evil Beasts, lazy, gluttons. This testimony is true. So that's that's the filtered, you know, safe PG version of what's true about the Cretans. So they're notoriously wicked. So on the island of Crete, ungodliness is normal on the island of Crete. That's what normal is. So if you're a member of a gang, well, then you'll fit right in. If you're a pirate, well, then you're going to fit right in. Because it's normal. But is it just Crete or is ungodliness normal everywhere people live? And it's always been that way. It's just as normal on the Mississippi Gulf Coast as it is anywhere else. And the crazy thing is, this is the crazy thing, is that we 
We watch television and read news and we believe that people who live in Muslim countries, we believe that it, it's, there's evil there, not like here. We are warped. I want you to think about something. We're warped. This morning, I read the story about the mom in California on Mother's Day who murdered her three children. An eight-year-old, a 10-year-old, and a 12-year-old. She killed them. But, but, you know, we say, well, well, you know, well, well, we don't, we're not strapping bombs on our back and running into buildings. Oh, so see how we mitigate everything? We can kill millions of babies every year, but that doesn't count. You see, you see, it's not, I mean, what is, are we, is it, is, are we different? Yes. Are we better? Come on. Come on. It's human nature. Ungodliness is what's human nature and broken people. And guess what? People aren't, there's not more flesh here than there. It's all flesh. It's all broken people. It doesn't matter where you go. That's what the world's full of. That's not new. That shouldn't be shocking. It shouldn't, you know, if that offends you, something is wrong with you. It's wrong. Like what is, how have we gotten so brainwashed? And this is how we get into this problem where, you know, you can just do whatever you want to do and we're all going to be okay. No, it's everywhere people live. So that means that godliness in any environment is going to require new normals. In any environment, doesn't matter. Where if you bring the gospel down the street or to the other side of the world, it's going to require new normals in every environment. Every single person that intersects with the gospel is going to have to contend with some things. And every person that the gospel captures is going to evidence some things. It can't not be that way. See, instead of thinking, you know, look, when the gospel comes in to, to any environment, then what happens is, you know, people no longer spend all their time thinking mostly about themselves. But the Holy Spirit is going to make people chiefly aware and concerned about the needs of others around them. It's just going to do that. That's what the gospel does. Instead of. Listen, when the gospel comes into a group of people, that group of people, they're going to they're going to respond to criticism in a very different way than they used to. They're not going to lash out in in anger, but they're going to have some sense of humility and, and understanding and compassion. The gospel comes into a group of people and suddenly instead of neglecting their spouse or ignoring their children, 
Things change in the home. You begin to invest your time in your relationships. You begin to invest time in discipling your children. That's because the gospel has come in. You go to work. See, when the gospel invades you, you go to work and you now have a new relationship with your boss. Your boss doesn't change, but you no longer resent your boss. You now see your boss as somebody who is, a, is a, in a, an evangelistic candidate. You want your boss to be captured by the gospel. Yes. And you understand that God's called you to honor those who are in authority over you. And so it doesn't, you know, they don't change. You change. You don't use people any longer to meet your needs. But you serve them. See, the gospel, godliness requires new normals. Things don't stay the same. And this is what the Apostle Paul is reminding Titus of. And he wants Titus to understand this. See, Paul, this is why Paul is not intimidated by places. He's not intimidated by, you know, the badness of a place. It doesn't matter. The gospel outpowers the badness of any place. It doesn't matter. And that's what and he sees that he's not he's not he's not worried about, you know, he just wants Titus to understand what he's getting into. But the gospel can handle it. No problem. Now, two clarifications. Number one, we have to understand that godliness, make sure there's no confusion, is not what we do in order to be saved. That would be a lie from religion. Godliness is how you respond when you have been saved. Godliness can only be a result of being born again. Any other behavior modification prior to that is man-centered, pride-motivated, and short-term. 100% of the time. 100% of the time. So we need to remember that godliness is not something that we ascribe to 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 become right with God. No, no, it's it's what we do when we have been made right with God. Godliness begins to pour out of us. So that's the first clarification. The second thing is, is that it takes time. It does take time. And so we're we're all on this path of sanctification. To which you say, well, then the, therein comes the, you know, the challenge with, you know, when somebody comes along and decides, well, I don't want to uh, I don't want to act like a pirate anymore. Before we have them walk the plank, we stop and say, now, how long have you been a pirate, brother, sister? How long have you been? How long have you been one of us? That sounds so bizarre. How long have you been a pirate? Oh, well, you're new to the, the, the pirate faith. So this is new to you. So, you know, you're just kind of getting your, you know, your feet under you. You know, you're not used to pillaging and stealing and robbing and all those sorts of things. So, you know, maybe we're just going to be patient with you and give you a little time and things are going to, you know, spark up with you or something to that nature. Right. 
No, here's what you do. You say, now here's the deal. You're a pirate. Now, if you're a pirate, here's what pirates do. We're finna pull up next to this ship and you're gonna bounce over onto that ship and you're gonna, you know, we're gonna take whatever we want off of this ship. That's how it's gonna go now. Cause that's what we do, right? We're not gonna say, okay, well, I tell you what, why don't you go down the bottom, take a little nap. When we get done raiding this, you know, ship over here, we'll come back and we'll have a little chat about it and, you know, we'll see how you feel. But no. So here's the thing. Yes, it takes time, but the question is not, the, the question is not initially, where are you on the path of sanctification? No, no. That's a secondary question. The primary question is, are you on the path of sanctification? Now see, here's where the, the poor churches all over the United States that, a matter of fact, all the churches around us who have a new pastor every two or three years. I don't know how that works. No wonder it's chaos. Because, well, heck, I just met you. I don't know anything about you. So I don't know if you're being sanctified or not because, you know, compared to last week, you look the same. But not here. No, no, we see you. Year after year after year after year after year, right? Yeah, so we can see. Is there a difference this year from last year? Is there a difference? Is, are you being sanctified? Are you growing? Yeah. So new normals, they, they happen. See, the, these, uh, it's over time. Over time. And here's, what, here's how this works. It's, it's not the same speed in everybody's life. And that's not the issue. The issue is not how fast you progress because the truth of the matter is there may, there may be seasons where you progress in an accelerated fashion and then there may be seasons where it, it appears to be slower, but what's happening is maybe God's just doing a different, deeper work, right? We have to be sensitive to these things, but it is, it is little by little by little. And what was once natural becomes unnatural becomes unnatural. Now, some of you in here are, are new Christians. Some of you in here are about to become new Christians. Some of you in here have been Christians for a long time. So there's a, there's a difference, right? Well, yes. I mean, if I go over to Frank's house, if Frank calls me and says, Tony, I need you to help me move up coffee table. I go over to Frank's house to move a coffee table and we're moving the coffee table and he stumps his toe on the corner of the door jam and blurts out a cuss word, Houston, we got a problem. Or what if I stump my toe and blurt out a cuss word? 
Now, there's some of you in here that if I was helping you move a coffee table and you stumped your toe and a cuss word flew out of your mouth and you kind of looked at me, I'd be like, come on, keep going. We're going to get there. (laughs) There's degrees. Right? Well, yeah. So it's it's little by little. But here's what what was once natural becomes unnatural. Becomes unnatural. And this is the work of the life-giving, sin-killing, Jesus-glorifying Holy Spirit that indwells every believer. That's what He does. That's His job. He leads us and guides us into all truth. And He roots out falsehood. And when you do things that you shouldn't do, He's the mechanism that makes you feel not good. And we should always remember that there was a time in our life when we didn't feel that. When sin didn't hurt. You know, if sin doesn't hurt, you should be very concerned. Um, Just today, one of the uh, other staff members came to my office and needed to talk to me about something and was, you know, was, we were having a conversation about a real dicey, um, you know, foster care situation. It's a big mess, a lot of real hard issues. But, you know, things, you know, that, that's just what happens when you're working with those situations. And they showed me a text And said, well, you know, here's the the text. And so I look at the text and, you know, I'm like, really? Just reading the, the text, you know, bothers me. You know, like, I don't I don't want to see that. All those expletives and all that. You know what I mean? Like, you, you know, I get the picture. You know what I mean? But they were they were just saying, hey, you know, I want you to see the gravity of the situation. But man, I mean, I I just felt like, oh, you know. I need to go take a shower or something, get this off me. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to see that. I don't want to hear that. Listen, the, the day I got saved, I had the filthiest, foulest, most wretched mouth you've ever heard. My weapon was my tongue. And now, when I hear that, it is so unnatural. See, that's the Holy Spirit does that, right? Yes. And so godliness, this issue of godliness, it is not like anything else. It is only from the inside out. It cannot be, uh, it's it's not external. You don't soak it in. Now, we, we, are, we are impacted externally, but we're transformed internally to external. So here's my question. Before we go any further into this, my question is, well, what kind of new normals does the Holy Spirit want to work out in your life? I think that would be a great conversation for every single one of us to have tonight. To have a conversation with God and say, well, now, what is it, Holy Spirit, that you want to work out in my life? 
Do you, do you have, are there some new normals with regards to, I just gave you some examples, prioritizing the spiritual disciplines. Like all the things, the, the spiritual things that I struggle to do, but there's all these other things that I don't struggle to do. You know what they are. Well, is the Holy Spirit okay with that? And why are you resistant to what God wants to do? And, and how have you convinced yourself that somehow it's, that you're going to be okay or better off or it's whatever the case may be? That Why would you not listen? Maybe it's investing your time in serving and discipling. You know, I don't understand, but I am told that there are individuals who uh, have consistent Bible reading and prayer times and don't serve in disciple. Now, I have I have no explanation for that. I, 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 I. 25 years of pastoring, I have no, I, I don't even know what to say. Clearly, you're not reading. You're just checking a box. And clearly, I mean, my honest gut response to that is you're lost. And you're just trying to do something to because you don't want God to kill you or send you to hell. You got some warped idea of God. Because I don't know how to, I mean, based on my experience with the Bible, that is impossible. I mean, I couldn't do it. It would be impossible. It just eats me alive. I'm reading it. I'm the, and the thing about it is, is I'm so compelled. I don't know how it could be any other way. But again, I'm, I do hear crazy stories. Now, I don't know, you know how true they are because I'm not around anybody's house in the morning except mine. And I don't know what, you know, people say a lot of things that may not be true. But what about changing the way you relate to people who disagree with you? Like, wow, I think, man, everybody ought to ask that question. Like, maybe we ought to kind of think that through a little bit. Because that goes with the last one. That is killing the zeal for evangelism. Yeah. What about stewarding our finances in a more God-honoring way? What about that? Do you somehow believe that do you think that anyone has ever got to the end of their life and regretted obedience? Somehow what seems so today like we're, you're resistant to it. And my question is, why? I mean, has anything that God has led you to do, has any act of obedience in your life ever led to regret? No. So, but somehow we manufacture this thing where we're, we're and we got all these excuses why we can't do this and we can't do that and we can't do this and we can't do that. It's insane. And who's losing? You. You. 
So godliness, it requires. It's a requirement. You can't play football and not, you can't be on the football team and not play football. You cannot be a pirate if you're not into pirating. You can't be a Christian if you're not into Christianity. It won't work. I mean, really, because there's tons of places you can go and not be into Christianity and pretend like a Christian, but it's, it's not real. It's not real. And, it, and really, it just becomes weird. You know, now you're like the guy who's, you know, uh, let's see, I didn't really want to get off into this, but, uh, you know, th- th- there's a new thing. There's so many new things I don't understand, but, you know, this new thing where grown people, like grown people, adult people, they dress up like stuff. Listen, if you're into dressing up like stuff, please, God, never let me know that and never let me see you do that. Because it's going to greatly hinder our relationship. I'm just saying. I mean, that's a freak show. I'm just telling you right now. If you're dressing up like, you know, some kind of, I don't know, just please don't tell me that. To me, I'm just saying, it's the same thing. Like, you can go down to some... Or you can get online and you can order your big pirate get up and you can dress up like a pirate. But you're going to look like a fruitcake. Because we all know you ain't a pirate. It requires new normals. Like, if, if and here's the thing. Do you know who, who can most accurately... Like if we had a lineup, a police lineup, who would be the absolute best at picking the genuine pirate out of the, the other nice people in the, in, the, in the row? An actual pirate, right? Because pirates know pirates. Football players know football players. Christians know Christians. The Spirit of God in us bears witness of them. We know that. And that's what I'm saying. Like, how many times do I see things? And I mean, I literally look at things and look at people and see things. And I think the same thing as you dressed up in some character suit. That's the same feeling. You're as close to being that superhero as you are being saved. It's the same thing. It's so obvious to the genuine article. It requires new normals. It's not optional. You know, godliness is not like adding bacon to your hamburger. You can't go, well, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to heaven and, you know, maybe someday I'm going to work on this godliness thing. Negative. That's not how that works. Godliness is the necessary outcome of faith in Jesus. There's just no other way. There's just no other way. And so here's what Paul's going to do. He's going to identify four groups of people. And here's the beauty of it. Every one of us in the room is in one of the four groups. Now, 
you may think you're in a group and be wrong, but we're all in one of the four groups. 100% accuracy. We're all in one of the four groups. And there's so many uh, things I could say about this. So, you know, he's going to talk to older men, older women, younger men, younger women. Look, if you want to know what the cutoff is. Anybody older than me, you're older. (laughs) Me and the rest of us, we younger. That's the cutoff. So, but here's the deal. Everybody's called to godliness. That's what you have to know. And, you know, I don't have time to get into all this, but I just want you to uh, know for clarification that you see that the Bible makes distinctions here. It's, there's a difference. Men and women ain't the same. You're not in two groups. You're not in one group identifying with another group. You can't go from this group to that group. There are defined groups. And God defines the groups. And God determines who's in which group. And that's just the way it is. There ain't nothing you can do to change it. That's another sermon coming soon. Stay tuned. So, here's what I did. I left you blanks. You fill in whatever you want. I'll talk. You fill in what strikes your fancy how about that otherwise your handout could have been way long okay so older men he says to the older men be sober verse 2 reverent temperate sound in faith in love in patience now that's all he says to the older men so you think if you look at that versus what he says to the other groups you're thinking man older men must typically be more solid because he says less words that would be wrong Uh, Because based on what he says and based on what we know, that's not true. Uh, You know, a lot of times, see, sober, that means clear headed. Reverent means to be noble. See, when you're reverent, you 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 don't delight in things that are shady. You don't delight in things that are, uh, you know, iffy. You, you try to stay, you know, you're, you try to stay straight. That's what reverent means. Temperate, self-controlled. Every one of these groups, the one thing that is listed in all four groups, the only thing is this issue of being self-controlled. It's a big deal. Being self-controlled. Uh, sound in faith. What Paul is, is alluding to is, is that you would be a person who knows what you believe and you know why you believe it. That's what the goal is for older men. So see, if you're in here tonight and you're not an older man, and so you're thinking, okay, well, I'm waiting until he gets to my thing. That's foolishness right there because I'm describing what you need to be shooting for. So you better be paying attention because this is where you got to get to. This is the goal. This is the mark. What about patient? See, one of the things that marks maturity is patience. It's a fruit of the Spirit, and that's why. And here's why patience is so critical. Because in our culture, we seem to think that patience is, well, you know, it depends on the day. And a lot of people say, well, I'm just an impatient person. No, you're immature. In your faith, a lack of patience 
is an indication of immaturity in faith because faith creates patience. And here's why. Faith creates hope in all situations. Hope yields itself in patience. I can be patient if I know no matter what I'm going to win. I can be patient if I know that this, whatever this is, is not going to define me. It's not going to change me. It's not going to, you see that? Do you see how that happens? But what we have today, oftentimes, when we look at older men around, we see grumpy. A lot of grumpy old men. They just grumpy. They got a sour puss resting face. They're grouchy about everything. They're mad. Listen, this is this. You know what would not fit into verse two? Complaining. I don't know what it is, but we get to some age and then the only thing we know how to do is complain. I mean, we complain. We're complaining because some kid rode his bicycle on my grass. Are you kidding me right now? What are we doing? You're immature. You you have not hit the mark. You missed it. You're blowing it. You're to be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in your faith, in love, in patience. So you have self-control, you have restraint. How many times do I see this, this older, dignified looking gentleman lose his ever-loving cool in line or at some store or in some situation because somebody's having a problem? I'm like, what is wrong with you? So, you know, the, the girl's machine ran out of tape and you're going to flip out. But Sunday, you're going to be in church. Hmm. I'm not even going to tell you what I want to do. I'm not mad at the situation. I'm mad at the person. I'm like, you're an embarrassment to my Lord and Savior. And if that girl walked in church and saw you, she'd leave. Because I would if I was her. Then we have older women. The older women likewise, they're to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. And it's interesting. You know, you don't need me to give a bunch of colorful comment about it, but it is interesting the things that he lists that are different. Why does he say that to women and not to men? Why does he say what he says to men and not to women? I don't know. I think you should receive it. I think God knows. He knows, doesn't he? You think he just, you think the Holy Spirit just randomly threw these in there? Or these issues that older women struggle with? You're to be reverent in your behavior. See, your character ought to reflect the Lord that you claim to serve. The big one is not slander because it is. The word, do you know what that word in the Greek? That is the, the, the root word for slander in the Greek is the same word where we get the word devil. It literally means do not be devilish in your speech. Keep your mouth shut. 
Why are you talking about things that aren't your business? Why are you saying things about people that you don't know to be true and that aren't building them up? Listen, what Paul is saying is that an older woman ought to know the importance, the value, and the weight of her words. Words matter. You can't just be slinging them out there all over the place. And I mean, that's obvious why he would say that because, hello, he's not saying that to men because men have so many less words. It's unbelievable. I'm just saying. Maybe. I mean, I got a 10 year old little girl and she will wear my ears off my head. My ears are exhausted. So I'm like going, you have not taken a breath the whole time. Good gracious, how could you possibly have that much to say? You're 10. Not given to much wine. Hmm. Here's what I'm going to say about that. For your edification and blessing tonight. Never take the first drink. And you never have to be worried about giving to much wine. You want to have a debate with me? Fine, go ahead. Let's have that debate. But at the end, you're going to look like a fool because you are. Because the Bible says it is a sin to be drunk. Now, let me tell you something. If the Bible said it's a sin to cross this bridge, you think I'm going to get on the bridge and wallow on the bridge and go to the middle and back up to the other side? And I'm going to be like, ooh, but I'm not crossing it. I'm not getting on the bridge. That's just common sense. Now you do what you want with your liberty and what you convince yourself of, but watch where it yields you. Just watch. It's going to bring nothing but pain and suffering into your life. It's the only thing it's going to be. Nobody ever became a better husband, a better wife, a better citizen, a better person, a better parent, a better anything from alcohol. Ever. So why would you do it? But yet we want to have a debate about it. Well, I feel like we just did. Then we have younger women, verse 4, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the Word of God may not be blasphemed. And of all these... This is the one that jumps out to me as being just so incredibly relevant to today. It's just amazing because I, I see this, this list today and I see so many young wives and young women and young moms struggling in these areas. And the reason they're struggling is because they, they, they haven't had, don't have a teacher. They need a mentor. My goodness, they need somebody to, to walk with them. You know, that's why, the, that's why the Bible says, love your husband. You know why? Because he, he ain't easy to love. And if the Bible didn't say that, you might be thinking, maybe, you know, see what I mean? Like, we got to be clear about this. That's what I think. I don't think this is knocking the young women. I think it's just saying, you got a big hill to climb here. But here's what you got to understand. It's Jesus, your husband, then your kids. 
then your kids. Your kids anywhere else in this room, you're in sin. It's Jesus, your husband, your kids, and everything else. You get that first three out of order and it's going to be a catastrophe. Why would the Bible command young women to love their children? Isn't that just natural? No. Because you know what's natural today? To love your children foolishly. To smother your children with love. To enable your children with love. To create codependent children. To dictate to your children. To, I mean, to become, to love. You know what a lot of people define loving their kids as? Being their kids' friends. That's not loving your kids. That's not loving your kids. That's why it says love your children, because there's a way to love your children. God expects you to love your children in such a way that they're going to leave the nest and soar for Jesus. That's the goal. Be discreet, chaste, have moral character. You know, you should... People should be able to see by the way you dress that you're just, you know, there's something different about you. I mean, I don't think you ought to look like Mary Poppins. But hey, you ought to look different. There ought to be some, you know, difference. Which I know the challenge. I mean, my goodness gracious, I thought I was over with it. Now I'm back in it again. Like just buying clothes for a little girl is like, whew. We might, have to, we might have to start making our own. I don't know. Homemakers. Does that mean you can't work outside the house? Of course it doesn't. The Proverbs 31 woman worked outside the house. But let me tell you what it does mean. You're not distracted by outside things. You're, the home does not, is not, is not uh, suffering due to outside endeavors. That's what that means. So if 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 you're gifted enough to be able to uh, and, you know, God's allowed you to be able to do things, but you're able to to manage and navigate the home. And, and here's the thing, like I know in our culture, somehow that we're so tangled up that that sounds like a slam. No, here's a slam. The home managed by me, that's the slam. You don't want that. out. You don't want that. It's not going to, it's not good. I'm no good at that. I can't do that. It's not because I don't want to do that. It's because I, I just don't know what I'm doing. It's not my deal. I can do a lot of things, but I can't do that. It's, it's you know, but it's so crazy to me because I, I would never, I would never look at my wife and go, seriously, you don't know how to change the oil? Like, what's your problem? I mean, now if you if you're a lady here and you can change the oil, well, God bless you. You're, that's great. but I wouldn't. I would go, wow. I wouldn't condemn you if you couldn't. Good, obedient to their husbands. I love that verse. That's a good one. Let's let's all underline that verse. Can we do that? We should. It's good. Be like my life verse right there. It's good. Amen. 
Just let it settle on you a minute. I like it. Of course, the one Wednesday she's in here. You know, you're not in a preschool tonight? Come on. But listen, being submissive, we've dealt with this before. I mean, I've preached a gazillion messages about this. Submission does not make you a doormat. Submission, you, you, a, a godly, godliness in a, in a woman would, would, uh, would, would always, uh, would never lead to uh, your, your husband trying to convince you to do something that was illegal or immoral or unbiblical. You wouldn't do that because of your godliness. But here's, here's what you need to understand. God the Son is equally God with God the Father. And God the Son was submissive to God the Father. So, and the result of all this would be that the, the Word of God won't be blasphemed. I mean, there's power in a young person who, who's got godliness. I mean, man, if you're young and, you're, and you live a godly life, people take notice of that. It is meaningful. It has great power. All right, then young men. Man, we got a bunch on here, see? So likewise, ex- exhort young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself to be a, a pattern of good works, to be an example in doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. So again, the same thing that's in all the list, being self-controlled. This is what I want you to understand mostly about what he says to young men. It's more about the how than the what. I think that's the big difference. It's more about the how than the what. I think that's true for the young women as well, but it is very clear here. It's not essentially, this list is not essentially about what you're teaching the young men, but how you go about doing it, which is the opposite of what normally we would think. Now, it doesn't mean that what you teach isn't important because he started out by talking about this, you know, what is the gospel and what has been delivered to you, the truth has been delivered to you. But this list is about how that might happen. So this whole pattern of good works, this, it'd be the pattern, of, it'd be open your life up. Allow other people to be in your life. Set an example. So, you know, Exhorting young men to be all these things means in order for them to do that, they've got to be able to come alongside you and do life. So this is about, you know, this is about young men learning from godly men how to be godly, but also how to hang a shelf. About also like how to fix the lawnmower. Also about how to, you know, how to... Like it's so important that, that young men spend time with with older godly men, but also as they're doing things and they're doing things together and that the young men are, are, are 
are able to see the older men interact with their spouse and with their children and so on and so forth and all those things because doing life together creates this pattern that becomes this pattern for multiplication. Because see, when, when godliness takes over a young man's life, it, it drastically impacts all of his close relationships. It has this shrapnel effect. The same thing with a young woman. Same thing. Like, like lots of people are changed by that. And so this sound speech that cannot be condemned, uh, the one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. But look, the pure word that comes from a pure vessel is not subject to condemnation. Now, there's going to be people that are going to have problems with it, but you don't, you don't worry about that. You don't worry about it. It's going to come back on them, Hebrews 13, 17. Let, them, let people criticize faithfulness. It will not be profitable for them. Learning to imitate Jesus is going to take a lifetime. But it's, it's along this path together. And in it, there's going to be a lot of ups and downs. So we have to remember, there's no such thing as sanctification apart from setbacks. Like you just have to, you read these lists and you realize embedded in these lists is, is the reality and the understanding of adversity. It's not easy. You can't be a quitter. You can't be somebody who gets, you know, you can't be somebody who cries when things don't go your way and, and you know, when things get hard, you're ready to, it, you'll never make it. it. It doesn't work like that. But here's what you've got to, and, and the thing is, you've got to know some things. You've got to know that the agent of change in your life is the Holy Spirit. You've got to know that the Holy Spirit is committed to this more than you are. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to abandon you on your worst day. He's not going to you know, throw the towel in on you because you're taking too long and can't seem to get this. He'll never quit on you. He'll never walk out on you. He is 100% committed to this process. And so that's why you, we stick it out. And we understand that, you know what? Godliness, it transcends age, gender, and economic status. It, it, is, it, 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 it pierces through uh, these differences. And so you, you can see godliness growing in the most extreme circumstances. This is why the church always flourishes the greatest in the highest level of persecution. It's because that's the that's the way it works. And it's the same thing in our lives. Same thing in our lives. And here's how we know this, because look at how Paul pulls all this together. Look at the last two verses. Exhort bond servants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but Showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior in all things. Now, don't you know? What in the world is Paul doing? Because basically what he's saying, the word bondservant is just another word for slave. That's what he's talking about. 
Now you're a slave. You're listening to all this. You're, you're a slave. You hear the gospel for the first time. And, you, and you, you know what you're thinking? You're thinking, amen. We want the gospel. God's going to fix all this. He's going to liberate me. He's going to change all this. He's going get to get me out of this circumstance. We're going to, you know, well, why doesn't Paul condemn this practice right here, right now? Why doesn't he do that? Well, first of all, when the Bible talks about slavery, it's very different than what we think of when we say the word slavery. So you you would be a bond servant if you were an apprentice. You would be a bond servant if you were a butler or a maid or a housekeeper. You'd be considered a bond servant. Many people considered a bond servant would have been would have been would have been willfully bond servants and who would have, would have the opportunity to no longer be that, but would choose to be that. But the Bible's not condoning any sort of slavery because here's the deal. Although those things are true, each of these people are under authority. If you're a bond servant of any kind, in any culture, in any time, you're not free to do whatever you want to do. Go wherever you want to go. Be whoever you want to be. So embedded in this reality is tension and frustration and restriction and restraint and trouble and problems. And so why is this here? And why does Paul say this? Well, for very good reason. Because maybe you're here tonight. And you're trapped in some very difficult situations. Maybe you're trapped financially. Maybe you're, you're in a very difficult relational situation. And you know what? You feel like it's hopeless. You feel like you're, it's never going to change. You feel like there's not going to be any way out. You feel like this is just the, 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 the cards that you've been dealt. And it's just the cross that you're bearing. And it gets you down. And it frustrates you. And it, you feel controlled by it enslaved to it. Well, you know what? Godliness in difficult circumstances is not easy. But it's worth it. What Paul's saying is, bond servants, there may be circumstances in your life that you're not free to get out of. And he says, you know what? Godliness can grow in that desert and it's worth it. Now, here's the million dollar question. Why? Why, 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 why? Because it points to Jesus. That's why. But do you know what we do? You know what we do. Because we this is this is our mantra. This is our this is this is who 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 we are as Western people. We often assume that God's will is to end our difficulty. When in fact his will is to increase our godliness. You see, you're, you may be sitting here tonight and you may be frustrated with God because this situation won't change and this circumstance won't change. And you're a bondservant to this thing. And let me tell you something. 
You have some very misappropriated emotions towards God. You don't, you don't know God like you should. You need, to, you need to investigate the character and nature of the God who wrote the Bible. Because you, you, you have taken some things and you've made them something that they're not. You've equated the fact that you're suffering and that God's not changing it. You've created a dynamic where that then means that God doesn't care. And there, brother or sister, you are utterly and completely wrong. What you fail to realize is not only does he care about your pain and suffering, but he cares about it so much that it's a secondary issue to him. He loves you way more than just to be concerned about fixing your problems. He loves you so much that he, his greatest concern for you is your sanctification. It is your godliness. And it ought to be the greatest concern for you. The problem is not that God won't do what you want Him to do. The problem is that you will not align yourself with Him. That's the problem. Now you heard what I said, but man, I pray that you heard that. Because if we're honest, it is the cancer that is eating us from the inside out. You know why that old man that ought to be godly is complaining about everything? Because of that. You know why that lady that's been in church for 50 years and ought to be a beautiful picture of godliness mentoring other people, but all she does is run her mouth. You know why she runs her mouth? You know why she's got that devilish tongue? Because of that. That's why. She doesn't know the God of the Bible. She knows all these things about God. He knows all these things about God, but at the end, when the big payday comes, there's nothing. There's Jesus submitting His will to the Father. Did Jesus ever... Complain about the Father's plan? No. Even when he approached the Father about his plan in the garden, it was with utter and complete reverence and respect. Before the Father could even answer, he said, but if that's not your will, no problem. But yet here we are, running around, trying to figure out why God won't do this and won't do that and won't do this and won't do that. And the whole time, God's trying to do something so much bigger and so much better. So listen, in the middle of the most horrible circumstances imaginable, it was Jesus' obedience 
that led him to even more horrible circumstances for the glory of God. Okay? Just think about that. And let that begin to settle into how you think about your life and what you're trying to do and where you're trying to go and who you're trying to be. See, the purpose of our lives is to point people to Jesus. And it's godliness that points people to Jesus. Because if you don't have godliness, you're a grown person wearing a Halloween costume. Trying to be some character. You see, there's no credibility. Is there? So you can have the best message in the world, but if it comes from a... Like, I'm just telling you, we're done. We can go, you can go over there and get some cookies. Act like you got teenagers. Just go in there and be like, hey, I got some teenagers. Where's the cookies? I'm just telling you. You can share the greatest gospel message in the world. You can tell me the greatest truth. You can tell me the secret to life. But if you're wearing a Star Wars costume, Tony ain't hearing nothing you say. I mean, I'm not, I, I won't listen to nothing you say. Nothing. You, if you ran up to me and said, run, the building's on fire, I ain't running. Because you said it. Same thing with the gospel. Let's pray. Father, thank you for tonight. We're grateful. Lord, help us to take these words and live from them. It's been good to be together as your people. Grow us in godliness. Use us for your glory. May, we, we, may you not ever let us get convinced that your priority is our comfort or our leisure or our pleasure. Although you do delight in your people and you do wonderful things for us all the time. But God, may our greatest desire and burning be to point people to you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I love you. Go get some cookies. First, get your kids dinner.